Good morning. Well, I think after that, we don't really need a sermon, so <laughs> receive the benediction. <laughs> well, good morning. My name is Bill Smith, and I'm one of the members of the teaching team here. And in addition to a teaching here at New Hope Chapel, some of you uh, might not know, I also teach karate at the Annapolis Karate Club. So if you disagree with anything I say, we'll step outside. <laughs> I won't go with you, but you can step outside. <laughs> I, I mention that because every January and September, we revisit the basics, a Japanese term, kihon. We revisit what we learned in the beginning, because if we find if we don't revisit the basics, then everything becomes sloppy. When I trained as a musician, I studied music in college, and I realized after I got my degree in music, if I really wanted to learn how to play the trumpet, I had to go back and practice the basics again, and I see some nods from musicians. You can never get away from the basics. We have to keep revisiting what it's all based on. And so we're studying this book of Genesis, which is essentially the beginning, going back to the basics of what set all this up and how we got to where we are right now. So today we're going to be studying uh, Genesis 17, which I signed up for because Steve was looking for people to do chapters, and once again, not being a man of detail, it was a few weeks later when I realized this is a chapter about circumcision. (laughs) So I need to do a better job of reading what the topic is actually about. (laughs) So I'm going to read Genesis 17 to you. it's not super long, it's not super short, and sometimes I, I debate whether to read a long passage of Scripture, and then this thought occurs to me, what else better to read than God's Word? Amen? So here is the Word of the Lord in Genesis 17. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty, walk before me and be blameless. I will make my covenant between me and you and will multiply you exceedingly. Then Abram fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be Abram, but your name shall be Abraham. For I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings shall come forth from you. And I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your descendants after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your descendants after you. And I will give to you and to your descendants after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abram, As for you, you shall keep my covenant and your descendants after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant, which you shall keep between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He that is eight days old among you shall be circumcised. Every male throughout your generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not of your offspring, both he that is born in your house and he that is bought with your money shall be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Any uncircumcised male who is not circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin shall be cut off from his people. 
He has broken my covenant. And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not call her name Sarai, but Sarah shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall be called a mother of nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed. And he said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is ninety years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live in thy sight. And God said, No. But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for, your, for his descendants after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him and make him fruitful and multiply him exceedingly. He shall be the father of twelve princes, and I will make him a great nation. But I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah shall bear, to you at this season next year. When he had finished talking with him, God went up from Abraham. Then Abraham took Ishmael, his son, and all the slaves born in his house or brought, bought with his money, every male among the men of Abraham's house, and he circumcised the flesh of their foreskins that very day, as God had said to him. Abraham was 99 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. And Ishmael, his son, was 13 years old when he was circumcised in the flesh of his foreskin. That very day, Abraham and his son Ishmael were circumcised, and all the men of his house, those born in the house and those bought with money from a foreigner, were circumcised with him. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you as your children, earnestly seeking and desiring to know your heart, to know your word, to be filled with knowledge and understanding and wisdom. Especially in this passage here, Lord, which at first glance can seem a little bit confusing and somewhat arbitrary. So we pray, Lord, as we now calm our minds and our hearts to be here before you in your presence, to be open to your spirit. Teach us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, speaking as a man, if there's any chapter in the Bible that begs for context, it's certainly this chapter. If this would be one of the first chapters you'd open up and read as a man, you'd certainly want to back up a few chapters and find out, figure out what did this guy do so wrong that's causing this to happen to him. So I'd like to go back quite a ways, actually, to Genesis 11 and to where we first see and hear about this man Abraham. So we go back to Genesis 11, we will read about the Babylon, Tower of Babylon being destroyed, and then there's this long explanation of who all the descendants are, and then we hear about Terah, and Terah is the father of Abraham and Nahor and Haran, he has three sons. And it says in Genesis 11, right at the end, Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. So I want to keep this passage 
in mind because one of the things we're going to see with Genesis is it doesn't really always follow chronology. Sometimes a chapter will read ahead and then you go to a flashback and then a forward, flash, a forward flashback or whatever those are called. Something about the plu perfect or something like that, I don't know. But uh, So uh, what we're reading here and I want to focus on is is they all go together from Ur into the uh, from from Ur into and intending to go to Canaan, but they stop in Haran. Now we go on to chapter twelve, and in chapter twelve we read that the Lord says to Abram, "Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing." I will bless those who bless you, and him who curses you I will curse, and by you all the families of the earth shall bless themselves. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. So the key issue that I want to point out is that in the previous chapter it says they went forth together from Ur as a family with really no explanation of why they departed. And now we read as though he, they're, in, they're in Haran and then moving forward from there. However, we have evidence in other passages in Scripture that God actually spoke to Abram when they were in, were in Ur before they left there. So we have a couple different passages that indicate that God first spoke to Abram, not in Haran, but actually in Ur. So when Stephen is being interviewed in Acts by the high priest, he says, Brothers and fathers, listen to me. The God of glory appeared to our ancestor Abram when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And so, and so he said to him, Leave your country and your relatives and go to the land I will show you. And then he left the country of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. After his father died, God had him move from there to this country in which you are now living. We also read in Genesis 15, I am the Lord who brought you from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. We also read in Nehemiah, You are the Lord, the God who chose Abram and brought him out of Ur of the Chaldeans and gave him the name Abram. So where do you think God first spoke to Abram? (laughs) He was in Ur, right? And then they left Ur and they went to Haran. So there is some debate about this time and this chronology. In fact, some even call it there's, an errant, uh, there's errancy in Scripture because there seems to be contradictions. So let's revisit what God tells Abram to do when he's actually in Ur. He tells him to go from your country, from your kindred, and from your father's house. That's what he tells him to do. And here's Abram's response. He stayed in his country. He stayed with his kindred, nephew Lot, and he stayed with his father and his father's household. This is the man of great faith, Abram, who did exactly pretty much opposite everything God told him to do. Now, look, I'm not disrespecting Abram. He does become a man of great faith. In fact, a faith of biblical proportions, you might say. Some people got that. He does, however, start his journey out a little rough, unable to completely trust God. So whether this date or the chronology is correct, the point of the story is that Abram had a difficult time initially stepping out on faith and completely trusting God. He's seeking comfort in the familiar. Have you ever gotten a clear sense of what God is encouraging or asking you to do, but you go ahead and decide to pray about it some more just to be sure, and pray about it a little more just to really, really be sure? 
keep praying about it so you actually don't actually have to have faith. <laughs> and then you start out, but you're a little hesitant, and you're starting to question it, whether this was the right thing to do. All change is preceded by discomfort. And when we seek to find our own comfort, God will find a way to make us uncomfortable because he loves us. So that we will seek the only one who can truly comfort us. Just because you start out rough doesn't mean God is going to give up on you. He saw something in Abram. He sees something in you. Just because you made a few mistakes doesn't mean God says, I give up, that's it. Our God is a God of second and third and fourth and fifth chances. He keeps going until we get it right. Sometimes that comfort comes in the form of silence. While Abraham is living in Haran, God doesn't speak to him, at least not in the scriptures. But once Abram arrives in Canaan, the Lord speaks to him, telling Abram he is going to live in this land, and he's going to give this land to Abram's offspring. Yet Abram moves on from there to the hill country. Well, the Canaanites were living there, and they weren't such great neighbors, so fear creeps in, and he continues to sort of skirt around all the way on to the Negev, the most arid part of the land, the worst part of the land. I wonder if, if Abram's faith had been at the level of spiritual mature, maturity it eventually grows to where he's going to sacrifice his own son, had he had that faith that level at that point, what he would have probably said as soon as God says, this is the land I'm giving to your ancestors, what would he have done? Unpack, this is our place, this is where we're settling. What about the Canaanites? The Lord's going to take care of them. But he didn't do that. He moved on. Just like sometimes we begin to skirt around and avoid certain, certain things that we don't want to do or talk about. Like the way I'm avoiding talking about circumcision. <laughs> <clears throat> so God makes Abraham, Abram uncomfortable again by bringing famine into the land. He doesn't talk to him. But he brings famine into the land and he's forced to go to Egypt. And here's where Abram once again reveals his immature faith by scheming with his wife and asking her to not reveal completely who she is. He says, tell the Pharaoh that you're my sister. He's afraid he's going to be killed so that the Pharaoh can have his beautiful wife. That she was his sister is actually partially true. You see, she was Lot's sister. Their father was Haran, Abram's brother. So today we would call Abram and Sarai uncle and niece. But back in those days, because they both shared the same father, which was Terah, they didn't have this idea of nieces and nephews and cousins. So Lot and Abram were half-brothers, and, and I mean, yeah, Lot and Abram half-brothers, and Abram and Sarai were half-brother and sister. That's how they used that language. So she didn't completely lie, but she didn't tell all of the truth of who she really was. And so if you're wondering why Lot or Abram took Lot with him, you know, being married to Lot's sister, how's he going to look her in the eye and say, my own half-brother, your very true brother, isn't coming with us? He would have probably got a bit of an eye roll about that, right? So Lot is going with them. So <clears throat> remember, God has told Abram he's going to make him a great nation, and yet Abram is worried about getting killed before he can have offspring. So he's taking things into his own hands, and God grows silent. And then Abraham is uh, removed from the situation. God gets him out of that by telling the Pharaoh not to touch this woman. He's protecting her. And in verse 4 of Genesis 13, Abraham 
calls on the name of the Lord after he's saved from this difficult situation. He calls on the name of the Lord, but there's no answer. He's becoming more uncomfortable. He's not hearing from God. And then he must be remembering the original command was to leave who? His country, his father, and his kindred. And he starts to remember that, and he has a conversation with Lot, and they separate themselves. And then, guess what happens? God speaks. The Lord says in Genesis 13, we're three chapters away, the Lord says to Abram, after Lot had separated from him, after he's now obeyed what he's been told to do, the Lord says, raise your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, westward, for all the land that you see I will give you unto your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring can also be counted. Rise up, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So then we go on to chapter 14, and chapter 14 is where Lot gets captured, and, and all the people of Sodom and Gomorrah are captured. And one of the people escape, and they tell Abram about it. And Abram gets his men together, and they go and they recapture Lot and all the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Abram pursues and captures everybody. Now, on his way back from this victory, the king of Salem, Melchizedek, who is also a high priest of the Holy Lord God, approaches him, and he blesses Abram. And he says to him, Blessed be Abram, by God most high, maker of heaven and earth, and blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hands. So Melchizedek is helping to build Abram's faith because it wasn't Abram who won the battle. It was the Lord God most high who won the battle. And then Abram is approached by the king of Sodom, who wants to negotiate with him. And all he's asking for is to have all his people back. And he tells Abram, you can keep all the goods, all the plunder is yours. And Abram says, no, I'm not going to do that. Because I have sworn to the Lord, God most high, maker of heaven and earth, that I would not take a thread or a sandal thong or anything that is yours, so that you might not say, I have made Abram rich. Abram knows who's making him rich now. You see, he's probably at this point around a B. Started out as a D, D-plus kind of guy. He's, he's moving forward, right? He's beginning to grow in this understanding of who God is and what God is doing for him and through him. And then we move on to chapter 15, because Abram has just acknowledged who the Lord is and his dependence on him. Guess what happens? God speaks to Abram again. You see this pattern? God withholds this communication, this relationship, until Abram has done what he's told to do. He speaks to him in a vision, and he tells Abram his reward will be great. But Abram says, you have given me no offspring. Interesting challenge here, isn't it? You're going to become a father of nations, but you've given me no offspring. What's the deal here? This hasn't really worked. And so a slave born in my house, will be my heir. And so God comforts Abram this time through reassurance. And he takes him outside and he tells him, look at all the stars. And he says, so shall your descendants be. And then what happens next is pivotal 
for all creation, all history for us. Because what happens next is in a sense a miracle. What happens next, it says, and he believed the Lord, and the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. This is a really important verse for us, isn't it? You see, Abram did all these wonderful things he was told to do. How much of that made him righteous? None of it did. He was obedient. He became more and more obedient. But it never says, because he did what I told him to do, he's now righteous. He becomes righteous simply through the act of believing the Lord, which is what the Lord has been working on the whole time to build this level of trust, this level of faith. That's what produces righteousness, not our behaviors. Not that we're supposed to misbehave. But there's something interesting here that's going on about obedience. So, chapter 16 is another example of chronological disorder, so to speak, because this talks about the birth of Ishmael. And the reason I say this is somewhat chronologically out of order is because Abraham has already talked in the previous chapter about having this son, and so now we hear the explanation of that in chapter 16. Which brings us finally to chapter 17, which I read earlier. The covenant of God is announced, and this is the same promise he's already made to Abram. He has communicated this promise to Abram four times, at least four times. He's told him the same promise over and over again. And the covenant actually starts with a rebuke. I emphasized that when I was reading it. He says, to walk blameless before me, which implies what? He's not been walking blameless before the Lord. That's one of those, one of those speed bumps you have to stop on. With, Wait a minute, it seems like he's been doing a pretty good job. And then the Lord says, walk blameless before me. Here's what I conclude of that, and you can have your own conclusions, but if it's different than mine, you can step outside, is um, I think what's happening here is that uh, Abraham's, this accusation has to do with Ishmael and his dependence on Ishmael as his heir. He's got this son that makes this promise fulfilled, and he we already have evidence that Abram considers Sarai as unable to bear children. So most likely, he has probably stopped being with her. Most likely, he has stopped being with her. We have children here, so I'm going to word it like that, okay? And so when he stops being with her, there's no way God can fulfill his promise. So the, the disobedience there, the obedience has to do with God's ability or inability to fulfill his promise. I can't do my thing unless you do, unless you do your thing. Abram has become an obstacle to God achieving his purpose by not being intimate with his wife. God can't keep his covenant if Abraham doesn't take the action needed to produce children with Sarai. And then comes the covenant, the quid pro quo, if you will. I'm always noticing and looking for negotiations in the Bible. I first talk, started talking about negotiating with God. Many people say, you can't negotiate with God. Really? <laughs> Tell Abraham that. He negotiated with a lot, perhaps even when he shouldn't have, but he, he certainly did when God didn't tell him, you can't negotiate with me. A quid pro quo, if then. If you do this, then I will do that. If you don't do this, then I won't do my part. 
Before we get to what God requires of Abraham, let's look at the name change. I'm still avoiding this topic. In Genesis 12.2, we read that God says, I will make you a great nation. Now in Genesis 17, he says, you shall be the ancestor of a multitude of nations. So something has changed here. So the names change to reflect that. Abram means noble father. Abraham means father of many. Sarai means princess. Sarah means mother of nations. I don't think God has changed his mind here. I think what God is teaching us here is that even when we make mistakes, God is able to work around that and work through it and make it all work for the good. See, all things work for the good of those who love God. Ishmael was Abraham and Sarai's attempt to achieve God's blessing. It was their effort. In a sense, he was a mistake, and Abram can be blamed for that. And God says, walk blamelessly for me. Walk blameless before me means to trust me implicitly. So our God of compassion hears the cry of the slave Hagar and makes a promise to her. So now Abram will be the father of many nations, not just the Hebrew nation. So now here's the interesting part of the quid pro quo. What is required of Abram? Circumcision. Circumcision literally just means to cut around. And so he gives a specific what's going to be. It could have been cut around a finger. It could have been cut around your hair. It could have been a lot of cut around. But he's real specific, the circumcision in the foreskin. So this seems a bit strange to cut off a part of your body. However, remember, Abram has been on a journey with God learning to trust him. He's been through a ritual of cutting animals in half. But instead of Abraham having to walk through, God walks through. And was Scott or Steve talked about that before, about how God's going to keep his promise. Now he's giving Abram an opportunity to keep his side of the bargain. And he says, I want you to circumcise in the foreskin. Now, what he's asking him to do allows Abram to show his commitment But there's really two things going on here that aren't quite initially obvious. Whenever there's a covenant, there has to be a witness. And so we see this between Jacob and Laban that it was witnessed by a stone marker. God made a covenant with Noah, and there was a witness of the covenant he made with Noah. And I'm going to ask you guys, what was the covenant he made with Noah? The witness of that covenant. It was a rainbow, right? So what's going on here is we're going to have this covenant. There needs to be some sort of witness, and it's going to be in your flesh. Today we use contracts. The idea of a witness would have not been foreign to Abram. So circumcision was what God chose for Abraham to serve as a witness of the covenant. Now notice what God chooses. He chooses an intimate part of the body. He chooses a part of the body where the seed, which is cursed, will come forth. This witness is not public, like a stone or a rainbow. This witness is intimate, and it's personal. You never know when this is going to hit you. It's a part of the body a man is quick to protect, isn't he? It's also a part of the body that gives a man great joy. You see, the covenant brings great joy. That's why he chose that part of the body, the part of the body that's intimate. That would be a reminder both to the man and to her because when the husband and wife are intimate, that is a reminder for both of them that God loves them. 
and wants them to continue to follow and trust him. So as we move forward, we are wondering, so before when God asked Abraham to do things, it took some time, in some cases years and years and years to do it. But this time, how long does it take Abram to do what God told him to do? There's no hesitation at all. He did it that very day. No hesitation, no bargaining, no prayer, just faithfulness and obedience. We here at New Hope Chapel are moving to the same level of response in our faith, to immediately respond to God when he speaks to us. So circumcision was a reminder to Israel that they needed to obey God's law, but it didn't produce righteousness. Abraham's immediate obedience reveals his heart, but that's not what made him righteous. It was believing that's made him righteous. In fact, if we go to Romans 2, it says circumcision indeed is of value if you obey the law. But if you break the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. So if those who are uncircumcised keep the requirements of the law, will not their uncircumcision be regarded as circumcision? Then those who are physically uncircumcised but keep the law will condemn you that have the written code and and circumcision but break the law. For a person is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is true circumcision something external and physical. Rather, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and real circumcision is a matter of of the heart. It is spiritual, not literal. Another way to say this is that if the very thing you're using to remind you to do something isn't reminding you to do that something, then what good is it? I used to try that, you know, the string around the finger or the rubber band around the thing, and then I'd go, and I'm like, I don't know what that was about. <laughs> so there's a second level of what's happening here, and that God would sometimes command actions of his people that would later be revealed to have another level of significance. For example, in Exodus, God commands the burning of incense, around which there were many rules, very strict rules about what kind of incense could be burned, when it could be burned, who could burn it. It wasn't until hundreds of years later that God reveals in Psalm 141 that the incense represented their prayers. So up to this point, Abram has heard the promise of covenant four times. He's also thinking the promise will be fulfilled through Ishmael. It isn't until verses 15 and 16 of Genesis 17 where God reveals to Abram that Sarai will give rise to nations. This is so absurd to Abram, he falls on his face and laughs and he says, this has to be some kind of joke. Or maybe it's a test, so he proceeds to sort of correct God by saying, oh, that Ishmael might live in your sight. So it's interesting that even while God corrects Abraham and restates his promise to Abram and Sarah, he also responds to Abraham's request to bless Ishmael. What God is going to do for Abraham and Sarah is about, uh, essentially, in their minds would be a miracle, would it not? A woman in her 90s having a baby. A miraculous birth. And God is setting the stage for another miraculous birth, isn't he? A promise of a son to a woman who otherwise should not be able to bear a child. Ultimately, this covenant of circumcision, of cutting off of flesh from the body, is replaced by a new covenant where Jesus is cut off from God so that we would no longer be cut off from God. The new circumcision happens when we receive 
what the Son of God has done and by faith believe in his name and ask for forgiveness of our sins, of the things for which we can be blamed. When we ask Jesus into our life, he will enter your life and he will circumcise your heart. He will remove that which keeps us from remembering God. How many of you have realized that since you became saved, if you're saved, there really hasn't a day gone by that you haven't thought about God? Amen. Think back before you were saved. How many days did you thoroughly think about God? Not that often, right? So he comes and circumcises our heart. And so the power of sin that wants to lay claim to our lives will be circumcised by Jesus, cut away from our mind and our heart. And sometimes it might hurt. But the temporary pain of losing our self-dependence will be replaced with a joy far greater than the temporary pain. The joy we gain is the ability to walk blamelessly before our Lord, our God, and King. So let me ask you, are you stressed out? When you get stressed out, let the Lord cut away your fear. Are you worried? Let the Lord circumcise your obsessive thoughts. Do you feel guilty? Allow the Lord to remove, to cut away all of your sin. God has made a promise to you. He has committed to you and your welfare, your protection, your safety, and growth. He is transforming us, is he not? We are being transformed into the image and likeness of his Son, our Savior. And so now Jesus is cut off from his Father for a time in order to bear the brunt of the sin of all humanity. And now he is the ultimate fulfillment of the covenant God made with Abraham, that all the families of the earth will be blessed through the offspring of Abraham. Amen? So, let's receive a benediction. Let us pray. And now, because of the work of Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision really mean anything. What counts is that we are a new creation in Christ, created by God for his pleasure and purpose, to be loved by God, and to be in a trusting relationship with him. In Christ, we are being filled with love for all of God's people. So as you walk this day and this day forward, walking in Christ, crucified with him, no longer alive, but Christ living in you. Remember that he died so that you could live. He was cut off so that you could be grafted back in. He has kept the promise so that you no longer have to keep your promise. He seeks us to be obedient so that he can more easily accomplish his will in our lives but will still work around us when we make mistakes and forgive us and bring it all to the good because we love the Lord and he loves us. Receive this love into your heart now. Allow your heart to be so full of love that there's room for nothing else. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.